Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. This is the number one daily radio show for realtors looking for a no BS, authentic, real-time coaching experience. What's really working in today's market, how to generate more leads, make more money, and have more time for what you love in your life. And now your hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Three, two, one, and we're back, and we've got a really fun show for you guys today. And if you listened to yesterday's show, um, we gave you four questions to ask yourself to determine basically to really kind of root out some of your probably dysfunctional thinking that you have about yourself or your potentiality. So what Julie did, and she is, <laughs> you know, we were podcasting a little bit later today because she was spending so much time researching all of these things, mm-hmm. is she went online and she's been doing, what we're going to call it a little bit of myth busting with regards to some of the uh, perceptions that mostly, oddly enough, Americans have about life in general. So what Julie and I are going to be doing is we're going to be going through uh, these most common things that people think, and we're going to give you the facts about it. Now, again, I'm going to review this in case you, just, you didn't listen to yesterday's show, but I'll do it relatively quick. So the point of all this is all suffering that goes on inside our minds is not reality, says Byron Katie. It's just the story we torture ourselves with. She has a simple, completely reliable system for freeing ourselves for, uh, of the thoughts that make us suffer. All war begins on paper, she explains. You write down your, your stressful thoughts and ask yourself the following four questions. And here they are. Question one, is it true? Whatever you write down. So again, the assignment we gave you as homework was all of you were supposed to write down essentially all the stressful thoughts that you had. Hopefully some of you, many of you did it. Uh, so the first question when addressing each of those thoughts was, as, is it true? Second question is, can you absolutely know it's true? Third question is, how can you react when, uh, how can you, how do you react? What happens to your mindset, your actions when you believe this thought? Question four is, who would you be if you didn't have this thought? Now, where we left off yesterday was how to turn all this around. But before we get to the turnaround strategy, what Julie and I wanted to do is we wanted to help you make your list or help you expand your list. Because really, at the end of the day, there are so many things, especially as you get older, by the way, that you start to have bubbling around your subconscious mind as to why you can't do more with your life, why you can't be, frankly, healthier, happier, richer, you know, why you can't have more love and freedom, why you can't have all kinds of different things. And it all roots back to a lot of deeply, you know, ingrained thinking that I think if you were to give yourself the opportunity to confront, you would actually, first of all, laugh because some of these things Mm -hmm. that Julie and I discovered were actually quite funny. Um, And I know some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. You will in a second. So what we're going to do is we're going to help go through what your limiting beliefs or what your, you know, the myths that you might be believing with regards to success, money, profit, specific types of lead generation, your health, building a team, market conditions. So we're going to go through various things. But first of all, I want to start out with the big bugaboo. And this is one that uh, Julie actually enjoyed the most researching because it was actually quite hilarious. I'm going to t- start by telling you guys a story. It's Tim's story time. Story time <laughs> I always Mr. get a Harris. picture of Mr. Rogers walking in and changing his shoes, right? That's right. All right. By the way, if Mr. Rogers was serious about, not, uh, w- about being cleanly in his house, wouldn't he have taken the shoes off before he walked in? Well, you know. Okay, it was well, pre-COVID. It was a detail. Okay, but anyway. So I remember the first time Julie and I went to England, and this was a long time ago. This was probably um, – this actually, you know what? 
Wasn't this right after? It was right after 9-11. It was right after 9-11. the guns and stuff. That's right. It was yeah. right after 9-11. And um, we were there and we went there during the worst time of year. Never go to England in the winter because if you think Ohio and those of you in the Midwest, you think it's cold uh, in the Midwest in the winter, just go to England because on the uh, on the planet Earth, England is actually higher up, closer to, you know, where it's really where all the horrible, harsh weather is. Add to that the North Sea. But that aside the point. So we went in January or whatever cold ass month it was. And I remember we were, you know, got to our hotel room after we had everyone and their brother tell us their nice, uh, polite British accents. What the hell are you doing here in the winter? Yeah. But we went, we got there. I actually do remember it was January because we were yeah. there for New Year's Eve. Yep. And we were um, in the hotel room for the first night and we turned on the local TV and the local TV had uh, uh, something was missing. And for, so, you know, Julie and I have never been big TV watchers, but I will never forget, we were watching the, you know, PBS, or not PBS, it was BBC. BBC and other channels that were, you know, available. And we were just watching the TV shows and the commercials would come on and they're selling, selling tea and crumpets and whatever they're selling. But, in, and Julie and I, it took us for a, a while to realize what we're missing, what ads weren't running uh, on the British uh, TV. And by the way, this was true when we traveled to other parts of Europe and other parts of the world. There are certain types of ads that are missing. And Julie, why don't you tell the Meghan Markle story right now? We yeah, just read it. Well, read it. yes, you were talking about then. This is even more true. Now, uh, this is a story I found today in my research. British people cannot wrap their heads around American advertising for prescription drugs. Don't pull on this too much, Julie. I got it. British viewers took to Twitter during the Meghan Markle and Prince Harry uh, bombshell interview with Oprah. Some of you guys have heard about that. Uh, to question why pharmaceutical companies advertise directly to viewers. Aisha Siddiqui, trend forecaster, writer, and editor for the New Inquiry, compiled a Twitter thread cataloging tweets by Brits who called advertising for prescription drugs, quote, wild, surreal, and dark. The thread shocked Americans for whom drug ads on TV have become routine. American adverts make me feel like I'm in some post-apocalyptic world, one tweet read. <laughs> Another person said American medical adverts are some real dystopian BS, we'll say. How are you going to tell me I'm all about how I'm going to die? Read another one. Well, but so this is so what we're was, used to it, but it's not all over the world. So what was missing yeah. when we were in merry old England were all the freaking pharma pharmaceutical ads. And it's so funny if you guys ever travel out of the United States, running pharmaceutical ads anywhere else on planet Earth is actually illegal. Yes. So we so for the last almost what would it probably be 25 years, maybe not quite that long, but, yeah. you know, they're. Yeah, probably 25 years. It's been legal for pharmaceutical companies to run ads, these little happy ads that are supposed to basically question your health and wellness. And then there's whole businesses that have snuck up. Basically, you go and Google some ailment online. And of course, then they're going to hammer you with all the worst case scenarios. And so what are the long-term ramifications if you've been slowly seduced into believing that uh, you could be uh, obviously falling prey to a billion different things that are going to you know, cause you to live this horrible yeah. life or with all kinds of leaky this and the other things? Well, it's super sneaky stuff, too. Some of the research, I mean, I almost don't want to do any more research because I don't really want to know since you and I are pretty media-free overall. Mm -hmm. But some of the things that they talked about, and this all ties into, I think, our overall theme is myth busters and mindset con controlling your own thoughts and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Just to tie it all together, right? Right. Okay. So some of the things that they do, and if you, I, I don't even want to say if you notice this because I don't want you to even watch it, but they'll take something that uh, some kind of brand, whatever it is, and they'll surround it with other things that you're already warm and fuzzy about. 
okay? So maybe a pharmaceutical ad. Have you noticed like everybody's always happy? They're in a canoe. They're doing this. They're doing that. There's things that you're already comfortable with, they'll sneak the ad into the middle of that, right? So one of the examples of that is detergent. Detergent isn't that sexy. What I especially about hate all those ads yeah. is the ads, the people featured in the ads are all about our age. So I, oh, I especially don't worse, like that. Right? Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> but they're curiously really happy about something. Yeah. Um, but they talked about detergent is not that sexy to, to sell. But what do you see with detergent? You always see babies and people washing cute puppies. Well, and staying all on those pharmaceutical. Things, right. But the point is that whether it's pharmaceutical or anything else, you are being manipulated in so many different ways. So you are telling me, so pharmaceutical ads in particular, because we're yeah. trying to help them drill down on right, why they right, might right. think they're more fragile Very than evil. they actually are, are basically evil. Stats, okay, Julie's got some stats. I want you guys okay. to listen to this. Now, what we are talking, we're going to share with you now are the probabilities. And where do you end up finding this, by the way? It's a fact-checking website. I right. Think. So this is – it's not – actually, actually, I think – Actually, I found it from insurance companies. I was going to say, that's yeah. an in, yeah, that yeah. looks like an insurance site. Yes. So these are the probabilities of you getting anything that's actually going to uh, uh, end your life, right? Because, again, I'm going to say this, and I know some of you, you're like, what the hell? This is not about real estate. It is about real estate because it goes to your mindset. If you're believing that you're more fragile than you are, you're using, your, you're using essentially your – altered state with regards to how you actually think about your uh, your health and wellness, you're using that as a subconscious excuse to actually not live the fullest life that you otherwise could. And you don't realize it, and none of us really do, but your subconscious mind has been manipulated to believe that you are, again, a fragile individual, and God knows you need all these different drugs to possibly make it so that, you know, as you're rowing down the, the river with your, your loved one, and, you know, all of a sudden you're realizing you're not watching a happy couple with their golden retriever in their canoe, you're watching something about, uh, you know, urinary tract problems or something. Hmm, God knows right? what, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Now, not every gross disease is listed here, but uh, the only thing real in all of the research from insurance companies, this and that, and something that you can control with your own fitness is heart disease is a real thing. That's like right. one in six or something. And we're going to talk about, we're going to myth bust some other things too, but we're starting yep. out with a big bugaboo because if you really go to it, people, again, don't understand that you are designed for longevity. And we're also yeah. going to share with you the average age of man, men and women. Uh, and the fact is people are not getting sicker and living shorter lives. People are staying healthier. And if they do get sick, they're actually getting better and they're actually living longer than humans ever have. That's right. So, you know, there's a lot of different things on here. But for example, there's a lot of things in the press about opioid overdoses and stuff like that. That's one in 100 people. I'm using that. Okay. So okay. just so, read the numbers. Uh, let's see. A chronic lower respiratory disease, you only have a one in 30 chance of ever experiencing that. Uh, opioid overdose is one in 100. But these You're, are th these yeah. are you reading for the most the least actual the, yeah you are yes I am. causes of death in the United States one in six is heart disease cancer is one in seven uh, all preventable cases of death is one in twenty four chronic lower respiratory disease is one is one in twenty seven suicide is one in eighty eight all right so you guys mostly knew all these things but when you put actual statistics to it gun assault very is very little chance gun assault is one in two hundred and ninety nine well let's go to one of one of my little mindset things I don't like to fly. Right. Okay. That's like, is it true? Well, I think it's true. I don't like to fly. Is it really true? Why am I freaking out about this? Guess what? Uh, likelihood of a passenger to die on an airplane. Here's what they actually quote. Too few deaths to even put a statistic to. Exactly. Okay. You're more likely actually 
to die of a dog attack. One in 86,791 chances. We almost had a dog attack yesterday when I we know, walked out our front right? door. Right? Keeping so, it real. So here, here's, a little, here's a little philosophical uh, way of thinking about all this. So you are, a lot of you guys worry. And again, people are, and mostly in the United States, you have, so you could go swimming in the ocean, right? And you're and like, people will prevent themselves from maybe ever swimming in the ocean, enjoying the ocean, because they're worried about shark, uh, shark attacks. Julie, Google real quick how many okay, people okay. die per year from a shark bite. And then I want you to Google how many people per year die from some ailment as a result of being bit by a mosquito. We did this before, this research a long time ago. But like people are fearful of uh, shark attacks and what they shouldn't, uh, which never happens basically is what you're about to learn. Uh, not shark attacks, but just dying from a shark bite, right? Or dying from being attacked by a shark. 13 per year. 13 per year. Now, do, uh, Google how many people uh, die from some mosquito-borne nastiness. By the way, they mentioned that 10 of those... You, they can't hear you, Julie. <laughs> Where's that? They mentioned that 10 of those 13 were uh, like shark-baited, you know, idiots putting chicken in the water to see if they can <laughs> They're get chumming sharks. the water. Yeah. Okay, got it. Just saying. So... Okay. You saying they had it? Are you saying they had it coming? And remember, you're not miked. All right. So now we're doing mosquitoes. So we're going to research how many people are bit and uh, by mosquitoes every year and die from one of the billions of things you could die from from mosquitoes. By the way, I already know it's thousands. So here's what you're going to discover. Julie's going to give an actual number. It, hopefully, she finds okay, it quickly. Okay, 700 million people contract mosquito-borne illnesses per year, causing more than <laughs> one million deaths. All right. So I want you to think about that. But what are people more worried about? Getting attacked by a shark? Well, here's a good way of not worrying about getting attacked by a shark. Don't, you know, basically try to attract sharks to you by throwing bloody things in the water. Duh. Okay. But so if you take out the people that are chumming the water uh, for, you know, adult, whatever they're trying to fish for, and you actually go to the heart of how many people are just attacked by sharks, say surfing or swimming in the water, it's, it's, an, es and it's an essence, it's nothing, right? It's zero. And yet there's how many people again with mosquito born? 700 million get a disease from a mosquito and a hundred million a year die from something related to that mosquito. So as you're, oh, that's amazing. It is amazing. How many people die again? hundred million. Oh my gosh. So you're sitting here worried about being bit by a shark and yet there's a hundred million people that die per year when they get, uh, you know, what would it be even? Is it a bit? It's dengue. Well, one of our neighbors had dengue fever not too long ago. Well, the point of it is, bit, is that yes. don't worry about the shark bites. Worry about the mosquito bites. And how many of you guys go through life worrying about the shark bites? So as a result of that, you're, you're never going to go out in the water. You're never going to learn how to surf. You're never going to actually, I mean, maybe that's not the greatest of ways of explaining how faulty most of our thinking is, but the millions of uh, mosquito bites every year that kill 100 million people, that's very similar to the millions of ads that you see and the average human sees, and get ready for this statistic. We're tying this all together quite well. I know. The average, the yeah. average American sees, guess how many ads specifically pharmaceutical ads the american average american sees per day are you listening listeners this is tv this is all forms of media and this is an average an average human watching an average amount of stuff online and off 5000 ads per day and you wonder how that can be right and but then i've got to thinking about Jake, just the apps that you use every day right you've got banner ads one of the things i read went down well, all it's of it. ads are everywhere ads are everywhere you go to check the weather there's an ad right you go to look at something that you wanted to look at there's an ad there's ads that follow you around i mean they're they're everywhere that's that's counting what you see on the freeway billboard ads it's seeing stuff on your computer on your phone you can't even look anything up on your phone without having some kind of pop-up. So I got those stats, by the way, by ad ad blocking companies. <laughs> That's funny. So here's the takeaway so far. 
if you are constantly being barraged with advertising that is, let's just, again, staying on the health theme and then we'll bounce off, yeah. that is telling you that you probably have a problem that you don't know, <laughs> that, that you are going to have some sort of, you know, demise if you don't take, you know, Something's wrong with you. wonder drug B, and you're seeing thousands, if you're the average American who is choosing to be exposed to thousands of these little subversive elements that are trying to, you know, alter your thinking, usually by motivating you through fear, by the way, you are dying by a million mosquito bites. That's what you're doing. You're exposing yourself voluntarily to walking into a room full of mosquitoes and constantly getting barraged every single day, 5,000 times you're taking in mosquito bites. And you don't think one of those is going to have dengue fever in it? You don't think you're going to get sick that way, but you do. But here's the wonderful thing. It's when obviously you guys have been with us for a long time. Most of you, number one, listen to daily real estate coaching podcasts in the nation. You can go media free. You can choose not you. So like you go outside, you spray on a bunch of bug repellent every day, hit yourself some off and chances are you won't get bit by a mosquito. Well, you can do the same thing with being media free. Tuning out all forms of media will make it so that you slowly start to peel or to remove all of the little ingenious, nasty, evil thoughts that have been implanted in your brain about in particular your health. And by the way, most of that, I'm not saying advertising in general is evil. But there is a reason that United States is the only country in the world that essentially has a bunch of that where it's legal even to run. Allows it. Right. Yeah. It even allows it. And do you think the collect is there a collective benefit or detriment? I'm not talking financial, I'm talking psychological, I'm talking well-being. Is there a collective benefit or detriment to all those pharmaceutical ads that have been running for the last 25 years? Are you feeling more healthy and confident or less healthy and confident? Right. Of course it's less. So one of the best ways, and now why am I saying this? If you guys listened yesterday, coaching call, and this was like sort of a, a conglomeration of a bunch of uh, coaching calls, but this is the scenario. Early 60s, uh, agent wanting to know basically they the whole bunch if they're being honest a whole bunch of things they wanted to accomplish in their lives have slowly given up on what it was that their potential was have slowly given up on living um, you know essentially doing all the things they always promised they were going to do you know just basically making it so that their life is going to result in them living underneath a staircase someplace one day because they're making it smaller and smaller and smaller and so you think that or you might believe that that is the natural way of things but it's not you're just being manipulated to be more and more fearful and wanting to nerf your life up more and more because you're feeling more and more vulnerable. You're feeling more less and less safe. You've less confident. Less confident, exactly. And if you feel that tomorrow is not going to be better uh, than uh, today, if you're actually pessimistic about your future, there's no way in hell you're going to lose weight. There's no way in hell you're going to save money. There's no way in hell you're going to learn to do what you don't. Because a million mosquito bites are winning. At that exactly. Point. That's what you're doing. Well, that was a good tie-in. We did good with that. We did. Yeah. All right. So let you, want, you have another thing we can blow apart? Well, I mean, you choose your – I sent you some other yeah. topics. Okay. We've got lots of different ones. Um, I'll, Let's I'll talk tell you, about, go ahead. Go. <laughs> All right. Well, one that I came across today, and this is something maybe we'll spend five minutes on, but it does make me completely insane as a coach, is that I can't blah, 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 because I don't have the right personality style Okay, for stop it. there. I was actually going to start talking about that, but not to personality style. Though okay. we can't talk about that next, but it's, sure it's, all, related. It's, it's all related. Yeah. Money. Okay. All right. Julie and I did a series of podcasts. Uh, I mean, I don't think there's anything we haven't done a series of podcasts on yet. <laughs> Probably not. But we did a series of podcasts on the myths regard to regarding wealth accumulation. 
And there were, and we'd spent a lot of, and we actually wrote about this in our book too. Did, wasn't this in Harris Rules? I think so. The podcast series, I think, was something like, Why Are You Not Wealthy Yet? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. So the essence of it was, is rooting out the myths. And Julie and I, Julie was middle class. I was a little middle class. And we grew up with all these myths as well. Myths such as, People who are rich were given unfair advantages. They were born with their wealth. They had, you know, all these other things like all this bullshit that's out there about people that have created wealth. And Julie and I researched all of it. They didn't earn it. It was given to them. That's another big one. They inherited it all. We found out that virtually the the numbers of people that are, it was like an average net worth of 5 million, right? Because we can agree at 5 million, you've, you've accomplished something. You've accomplished something, obviously, at much lower numbers, but this was where the baseline was for the research that we found. And the belief was, the, the sort of prevailing belief was that, well, if you have millions of dollars, you must have somehow uh, either cheated the system, had an unfair advantage, you must have somehow, you know, born Doing under something a, wrong. Right. And then Julie and I researched all this, and we found that single digits numbers of people with $5 million net worth or more had inherited. So virtually nobody. What we discovered was the people that had accumulated that money had a tendency to be uh, in their late 40s, early 50s, and older, had generally speaking uh, been in a, uh, had um, been doctors or business owners. They'd been on this, they'd been doing long periods of doing what they didn't want to do and they didn't want to do at the highest level. Providing service. Right. And their wealth accumulated through the accumulation of assets, right? Their business was worth something. They'd accumulate stock along the way. Their house had depreciated. They bought other real estate. They So they'd become millionaires slowly, and they created it in their lifetimes. So most millionaires in the United States are first-generation millionaires. And here's something else that will boggle your brain. Most billionaires, like virtually every single billionaire, there's only maybe like three or four in the United States of all the billionaires, and there's a ton of billionaires in the United States, were inherited wealth. The rest of them created it in their lifetimes. Like they were the first generation, not just a billionaire, but millionaire in their family. And again, did you know that was true? Or did you just think, did you believe and fall prey to thinking that you're never going to be able to climb as high as you want to on the wealth ladder because sometime, somehow you're going to get to the next rung and the one rung after that is just going to be unreachable because that's when all of a sudden... Or you'll be required to do something that right. you're not comfortable with. Exactly. Okay, you're addressing the whole the sure. ethnicity of being wealthy. Yep. That's another, that's another thing that people believe, that somehow in order for a rich person to be rich, they had to have taken it away from somebody else. In other words, there's it's a zero-sum game. The pie is only big type thinking. Well, that actually is absolutely positively not true as well. The reason that one person has more than the other, just keeping this as base as we possibly can, is because they're providing a product or a service, let's say, that more people are that people are willing to pay for. And it's like you could pick any example you wanted to. And isn't it funny? Every time you think of a really rich person, do you guys see how the vitriol, vit, vitro, how do you say it? Vitriol. That's associated with that name because rich is seen in a lot of, uh, you know, I would say a lot of circles in the world in the United States as evil. So I'll use a, a really good example. Elon Musk. So Elon Musk did not come from money. Elon Musk basically made his big batch of money that, got, that rooted him out of PayPal. And he, almost lost it all after that, too. People right, and don't almost, know that. And almost lost it all. But why is Elon Risk, uh, Musk the, the, one of the wealthiest uh, people on the planet uh, in the history of humanity? It's because he is creating things that other people are willing to pay for. That's it. Now, you're going to say Tesla. Well, you can say Tesla. You can say Solar City. You can say uh, Starlink satellites. You can say his, you know, uh, SpaceX and all the other things that he's uh, creating. 
Now, he is creating things that people are willing to give up their money in exchange for in, a, in such an abundance that he is, through obviously public markets as well, he has become one of the richest people on planet Earth. Well, uh, I'll say another one. And I've noticed this guy is starting to basically circle with regards to uh, wealth haters. Um, look at um, Jeff Bezos, right? Uh, Jeff Bezos puts out small, puts out uh, business small companies and small mom and pops. And there are some truth, there is truth to that, right? But wasn't everyone already migrating to buying things online? And isn't ultimately the consumer able to have a wider selection of things that are delivered right to their door, except if you live in Puerto Rico, right to their door quickly <laughs> and at a lower price and a greater selection? So ultimately, the reason that uh, Jeff Bezos, who I do think is the richest uh, person on planet Earth at present, he is that person because he has created something, Amazon, that and obviously a lot of other subsidiary businesses, that millions and millions, if not billions of people find to be a value. Otherwise, okay. he wouldn't be the richest person on planet Earth. So if you don't have the wealth that you want and all the things that go along with it, it's because you have yet uh, accepted the fact or maybe you haven't realized the fact that the more people you help, it could be selling a product, it could be solving a problem. The more people you help, the more wealth that you'll accumulate. And that's the formula. It's not more complicated than that. No matter how many people, when you put them through the four questions, the impetus of our discussion today, what is your belief about wealth? Okay, and, so you question, know, let's, go, let's just give an example. Thank you for reeling me sure. in. So question is, um, my belief is that rich people are evil. Okay, right? is it absolutely, are you absolutely certain that that's true? You can't you, know it. You've never been really introspective about it, so how can you even answer that, right? right? You just maybe have been socialized to believe sure. that. Sure. So my belief is, are rich people true? Are rich people evil? Question one, is it true? Well, I can't really know that's true or not. So then the next question is, is can you absolutely know it's true? Again, an iteration of the first one. Sure. No, I can't know. No. The third one is, how do you react? What happens to your mindset, to your actions when you believe that thought? Now, that's a very interesting thing. Mm -hmm. Let's hover there. So if you're a business owner, which all of you are, you're a real estate agent, you're a business owner, and you believe that rich people are evil, rich people take it from other people, rich people are only, they're taking from poor people, they're evil, 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 bad, 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 right? You are never, ever going to accumulate anything because in your mind, you've associated wealth accumulation with evil. You guys see what you right. did? So you're not even going to make the effort when the true evil is your own complacency. Well, the true evil is the real, the, uh, the the lack of acceptance of the fact that our highest and truest purpose on this planet is to be of service to other people. And if you are really in alignment with that, which all of you are, whether you're consciously in alignment with that or not, then you might want to figure out how to develop a higher level of skill set so you can service, be of service to more people. And guess what follows after that? everything you could possibly ever want or dream of in your life. Exactly. Does this make sense, Julie? It absolutely does, but I hope they're all being as introspective as our back and forth is because you really can uh, apply this thought process, these four questions, the filter to virtually everything that you believe. Well, so let's, it, those of you, oh, we're going to take a breath, right? Yeah. Can you open up my, uh, my yeah. blue soup water? Right. So for those of you who are ready to take the next level in your real estate careers and you're ready to join our premier coaching program, we've made it very simple for you. You can, first of all, just go over to timandjulieharris.com and click on coaching programs and join premier coaching. That's the easiest way to do it. Or just text the word success S-U-C-C-E-S-S -S -S to 47372. Text the word success to 47372. And when you do, we're going to text you back a link. And with that link, you'll click on it. Then you'll go to that same page you could have found had you gone to the site directly. And then you can join Premier Coaching for around $100 per month, depending on, you know, basically how you want to join. It's completely up to you. But why are you waiting? You know this is a complete A to Z system. 
And when, if you guys have read Harris Rules, which you know tens of thousands of you have, then joining the coaching program is like Harris Rules times about a billion. Because Harris Rules, which I appreciate the 500 five-star reviews you guys have given us on Amazon. Um, it's available at every uh, major bookseller. But obviously, it's 240 pages. We couldn't complete. We couldn't put the whole coaching program in the book. So you need to trans. You need to move to the next level and seriously consider becoming a premier coaching client. And all of you can afford it because it's only 100. It's around 100 dollars a month. So just text the word success to 47372. Text the word success to 47372. And just go ahead and do that now while you're listening to the podcast. Easy enough for you to do. All right. I'm going to talk about another bugaboo that you and I like to really Alrighty. grind on. All right. Taking a breath. Mm-hmm. Which <sighs> would be okay, so going that's, through the Rolodex of bugaboos. Well, there's so much though, honestly. I know. But let's So let's reel this back in and make it practical. Yes. How many of you believe that you have to form – okay, I'll like, I'm going to work on a better one too. Okay. How many of you believe that you have to be famous to be successful? And I'll, yeah. even, I'll even make that more salient. If you have to choose between being rich and being famous, you cannot have both. If you have to choose between being rich and being famous, you cannot have both listeners. Which would you choose? I think most of them are going to say famous because it makes them feel warm and fuzzy. It makes them feel good. They like Everybody likes attention. Because you know? they believe that the rich will follow the being famous, right? Yeah. Now, I, I've, we, this, is such a, um, this is such a sort of a cerebral and emotional thing to really comprehend. But if you were to ask your young – let's say you're you know, 50 – and you're asking your younger self that at 25, which would you choose? If you're being honest, the 25-year-old would have said famous. The 35-year-old would have said famous. The 45-year-old would have said famous, but they would have taken a second to think about it. And you know what? The 55-year-old version of you would have said rich. Because what you have realized is that you were manipulated to believe that you needed to essentially be uh, one of these people that likes to make themselves look like they're famous, make themselves look like they're successful versus actually earning the right, earning being successful through helping people. Is this confusing? I know it is, especially in this day and age of social networking, where everyone's beating you about the head constantly, telling you that you need to work on your brand. Well, guys, that is all basically a big damn myth. Your brand, the word uh, brand has been uh, essentially, uh, it's not what you think. You're believing that your um, reputation is what you're trying to build. And you cannot fake having a great reputation because you spent a bunch of money working on your brand. And I want you to not conflate that in your head anymore because you are being manipulated to believe that, oh, you're not more successful. You got into real estate. You got to work on your brand. Branding is the biggest investment you can make in yourself. Branding, branding, branding. You can't hold branding accountable. Branding is not going to, you can't say, okay, Mr. Brand Guru, how long is it going to take this to actually translate uh, translate to income? They will never give you an answer because there's no answer to give because branding is a myth. Your branding will come from your success. And it's um, our good friend, Charlie Munger. Mm-hmm. We don't know Charlie Munger. That's just a joke. Uh, who is the partners with Warren Buffett. And uh, we were, uh, so he said, don't try to be famous, try to make your Your work work famous. famous. And Julie and I took that and we said, don't try to be famous, make the results you get for other people famous. That's how you build a reputation. And from that, that's how ultimately, if you guys like the idea of branding, you build a brand. Your brand is not somebody who's essentially trying to grab attention on all the socials. The, the brand that you have is the person that actually gets the job done. Do you really believe, listeners, that just because you're all over TikTok and Instagram, that a seller that's ready to sell their house is going to call you? Do you really believe that? Or do you believe that they're going to call you because you have the reputation of being able to sell the house? Or because you called them and you proved to them that you could sell the house? I had this exact conversation with an agent today. 
And I think that this can be very confusing. I think it can be very damaging because this particular agent had a really well done website, had been around for more than 18 months, had all kinds of beautiful houses, lifestyle pictures, you know, like what you would want to see if you were working on your branding, right? Nothing really wrong. And had a total of guess how many calls, leads, emails from said branded website. Uh, I already know the answer. Uh, zero. Zero. Absolutely. There was zero. a National a Association one. of Realtors uh, article that, I'm sorry, the, an Inman article that Teak Wiggins did using National Association of Realtors statistics that were essentially a big ass survey that was done asking agents how many actual leads, not closed transactions, leads they got from their branded personal website. And the answer was zero. Now, how many of you right now are believing because some branding you know, person told you that you have to build your personal agent website? Why would you build a personal agent website if you're not going to get any leads from exactly. it? But here's how it's damaging. Let alone closed deals. Agents think that there's something wrong with them, right? Why? People must not like me. People must not like my listings. I'm not getting anything from it. I better go spend some more money on SEO because I'm doing something wrong. Exactly. You Instead guys are of make your work famous, don't try to be famous. Make the result you make get the from result your work. You get right. for your people. So you guys are being sold something. The person trying to sell you the branding, the person trying to sell you the marketing, the person trying to sell you the logos, the person trying to tell you how to make better YouTube videos, the person that's trying to do you get you to buy whatever it is they have for sale because at the end of the day, the, you know, you're going to fall prey to it because A, maybe you've never been exposed to the truth until now, or B, it's easier sometimes in your minds than doing the real work of real estate that does require skill. And it does require some rejection until you get essentially build the calluses so that the you know rejection becomes something that just goes with the flow and you basically become somebody who is a true salesperson. And that is what you are all, all are, by the way, until you accept that you're going to needlessly suffer. So there, it's, that's essentially the whole myth about being famous. Don't believe you have to be famous. That's not true. And I know everyone wants you to believe that you have to work on your brand and your brand and your brand and your brand. Don't believe it. That's the, and we're going to go to the next big myth. And here it is. You ready for this one? Teams. Oh my gosh. This one. We're going to do it. Okay. I'm not, I don't have to go through all the list. Yeah. But let's we'll talk about, let's talk about teams. Yeah. Why do you want to form? So here's the, here's the pattern. And there was the, okay, I'll tell, I haven't talked about this before. We had on our podcast and this was about a billion years ago. Mm-hmm. The guy that ran the biggest uh, Keller Williams Market Center in all of Austin. Do you remember this? I do. I think I know where you're going. And yeah. he, I don't think he was with Keller Williams anymore, or he, I'm pretty sure he had gone to EXP or something like that. Mm-hmm. I honestly don't remember. Mm-hmm. I could look back and find out. But he was, I had him on the podcast, and we very rarely have guests because I loved how honest he was. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't just trying to toe the party line about teams. And so on this podcast, we were talking about the fact that um, you know, a lot of agents are given a lot of pressure to basically, uh, your, your, the idea is here's your career path. Julie, mm-hmm. you're such a rock star. Yep. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. You're rookie of the year. You sold 20 houses. Yep. Now, next thing you have to do is hire an assistant. And, yep. and Julie is going to be going like, well, okay, I guess. I mean, yep. oh, then you have to hire sure. a buyer's agent. Mm-hmm. Then you have to start buying leads. Yep. And don't forget to work you on your lead. you got to feed the team. Don't forget. That's right. you got to feed the team. Mm-hmm. Then you got to add more buyer agents. Yes. Now you need another transaction coordinator. Meanwhile, I'm building my brand. Right. you got to build your brand. <laughs> yeah. You got to buy more leads. Did we mention sure, that? Okay. Course. Now you need a leads coordinator. Yep. Now you need a bump, 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 
Next thing you know, you're basically being put, you're, you're getting all this external, oh, you got to join this coaching program, mm -hmm. this coaching program followed by this coaching program. Oh, now you got to send your buyer's agents to this coaching program. Mm -hmm. So now you got into this business with the idea that you wanted to basically be, have some financial autonomy, basically. You got into this business because maybe you liked real estate, you liked working with people. And now you're given all this pressure from all these people who do not have your best interest in heart, at heart. They're just trying to sell you things. Um, for their own betterment, not for yours. And I'll prove it to you in a second. So I'm having this guy on the podcast. I wish I'd remembered his name. And I do remember for sure he moved to EXP. And he was the a manager of this biggest, this big ass real estate office. And he would have these people who, agents who were coming into his office on a regular basis, who had these big teams who did not know how to put a profit and loss statement together, mm -hmm. other, let alone read one. I know. I was going to say, it's interesting. They never tell you to hire some kind of financial advisor, bookkeeper, or accountant. Of course not. Of course not. No. And so he would go through their numbers with them. And he said he never saw a single team and all the probably tens of thousands of people he dealt with that were making a, a profit margin of much better than 5 or 6%. Yeah. Okay, and, and that's that a team, a person who starts the team. So Julie, she's phenomenal. Now she's got four buyers agents. She has all this staff. So it, when Julie had earned, when she sold her 20 houses her first year, broken all these records in this office on making all this up, maybe her income that year was, you know, $200,000. And because she had one part-time assistant, she actually had a net income of 150 grand. Now, in order for her to have the same net income of 150 grand, her real estate team is going to have to do 1.5 million in commission, Right. And the probability of her doing 1.5 million in commission while she's having to manage her own cash flow, Ain't she's having happen. to learn, educate people, manage all these people, do all this Mickey Mouse, because she did not, was not told when she started down on this team building myth, this team building path, that on the other side of that is less and less profit. And the problem is, is real estate teams and brokerages do not scale. You want to add more transactions, you have to add more costs, reducing your margins. You guys the understand? bigger it is, the smaller the margin gets. Right. So what does an agent do with that? Well, it's not that we don't want you to have assistance. At some point, you do need to have a transaction coordinator. You might need to have a personal assistant. And you can have some buyer referral partners. Okay, so a buyer referral partner is different than a buyer's agent on your team. How are they different? Because you can hire them when you need them and not have to be beholden to them saying, where are my leads, where are my leads, where are my leads? You don't have to keep buying those. You can use them as needed. And if they do a crappy job, they're a lot easier to get rid of than somebody who you just adopted to your team. That's right. And so why do you form teams? Ego. And because the people that are trying to sell you into forming teams are the same people that are trying to sell you into doing a lot of digital advertising. They're trying to separate you from your money. That is their primary motivation. If you do not believe me, then ask them the ultimate question that any business person would ask. What will my return on this investment be? There's the accountability. And you'll routinely find a lot of stammering and lack of clarity because they do not want to give you anything to hold them accountable to. And they'll are put you, it right back on you. They'll say it depends on how good you are at following up. Hey, exactly, Julie. You know what the problem is? Your buyer's agents, you know, they're not selling because you need to give them more leads. Yeah, you, you need to train them more. Get them into that coaching program. You need to hire a leads coordinator. You guys mm -hmm. see? Because you, the you know, this Julie example didn't stop to ask the question before she started going down this path. If I go down this path, is it going to increase my net income? Is it going to get me closer to the idea of having more financial independence and freedom? And is, can you prove it? Right. Is what you're proposing to me really truly what's best for me or best for you? All right, I'm going to leave the last bugaboo to you. Ready? Okay. I, uh, vamp on the big myth that is personality styles. Oh, yes. Had one of those today, too. Okay. So some I actually looked at uh, one of our clients sent me something to look at. 
And it was actually, the topic was negotiating training, okay? Which you would think would be great. Everybody needs to be a better negotiator, right? But it went through this whole thing that's actually stated without any factual backup or anything like that because personality styles are not real science after all. It's a myth, guys. It's personality myth. styles, DISC, yeah. all that stuff is pseudoscience. Pseudoscience yeah. is a classy way of saying fake. Yeah, well, this actually said, quote, most real estate professionals are either drivers or in, uh, expressives, okay? No explanation, nothing like that. So instantly, somebody that's a little bit more amiable, a little bit more analytical, well, something's wrong with me. Well, let, okay. let's give let's give a real salient example. Yeah. You and I were walking at around. We were speaking at some big convention. We did our thing. We were sort of walking in and out of back of, of the rooms of other things that were going on. And I remember walking into this room. You were maybe with me or not. Mm -hmm. And there was somebody up there that was this big know-it-all professor, doctor, you know, all being, you know, whatever about DISC. Yes. And everyone had taken it, you know, he was giving DISC tests and he was speaking with authority. And these weren't theories. These were facts. That's just how it was. It was way too extreme. It was just like, this is how it is. If you don't, I'm absolute authority on this. This is how it works. And the agents were just lapping it up. They never stopped to ask, is this pseudoscience? Is this fake? And here's what he said. And I'll never forget this. Um, he said, basically, if you, the essence of it was, is every agent in the room claimed that they were a driver or an expressive. And the reason is, is because they had been told that if you are, as to Julie's earlier point, analytical or amiable, remember all this is just basically fake, is that uh, you are inferior in a sales environment to a person that's, right. that's a driver or an expressive. And what happens is, and here's the reason it's fake, any self-administered test is easily manipulated. You can change your answers. And all you've got to do is understand at the, at just the, essentially the prevailing rules. Oh, no, Tim, you're not, these aren't the latest versions. They just give you more questions and weave the questions around. No. Any self-administered test is unreliable. And, and a lot of the times it has to do with your mood. It's basically sure. fake. And your beliefs, your beliefs, right? right? So if I believe I'm supposed to be a driver. Well, you can test. And I, have a, I can go any, all four. I can yep. test exactly equal in every single one of them. Right. Okay? And I've known a lot of people that can do it because it's fake. Right. Now, is it true that there are people who are more introverted and more extroverted? Yes. Or is there people who are more uh, analytically brained and people who are more bullet pointed? Of course, but it's not science. It's just a simple guideline. And here's why this is, is uh, disruptive and distracting and goes right to our four questions, right? So I'm a driver. Do I, am I absolutely a driver? Well, who am I? This is, this is taking it to the other way. So there's two things. One is I suck and I'm not going to be very successful because I'm not a driver. And the other one is I am a driver and that means that I get to do things my way all the time. And who am I because I believe so hard that I have to be a driver? Well, I'm probably overly direct with some of my prospects. I probably scare some people off. I'm probably not that friendly or perceived friendly by certain people. All of it ends up being non-versatile. And these beliefs can be very destructive to a business, to a personality, to a marriage, I'm gonna to take everything. The other, I'm going to take the other side of that. I, that's what I'm saying. There's two sides to this. Right, but I'm going to take the other yeah, side. Sure, sure. So, so some of the best coaching clients we ever had would be the exact personality styles that all these all-seeing DISC and personality style gurus would say would be the least effective at sales analytical people. Yeah. Analytical people, generally speaking, are the best at uh, essentially having an organized system to follow, like what we have as, as far as our coaching system. They are the best because they are uh, they will learn, they will not deviate, they will not they will follow a system. Analytical people want a system scripts. to follow. They learn scripts. They don't try to deviate. You know, they don't try to manipulate the script and make it different and all the rest of it. Right? They are sometimes the best coaching clients. But if you walk into any 
DISC <laughs> guru presenter. Read any book. Listen to any of these people that are self-proclaimed experts on DISC. They will tell you that a analytical person should be in a support role. It's yes. such utter crap. It's total crap. And but, so what? let's say, for example, you're an analytical person. You're listening right now. And let's say you've been exposed to that litany of garbage. And let's say you have been have allowed yourself to believe that because you are cursed with this right. analytical personality style, you can never be successful as a salesperson. And let's say you had you came across this crappy information 20 years ago. And because of that, you never actually have allowed yourself to pursue what would have been an incredible career for because you in real estate. Because you're believing so hard that it's true, right? Right. That comes back to your filters. Have you, and did you, you it's should. It's even worse for amiable people because oh, they're yeah. convinced that they're just too fragile to be successful in the right. business. And you have feelings. Exactly. And, and and all this personality stuff, guys, it's made up. It's fake. Google it. Dr. Marston. Dr. Marston created DISC. He also created the comic book character Wonder Woman. Go explore Dr. Marston if you want to have validated what we're saying, that it's a myth. It's not real. It's pseudoscience. So so what do you do with all this? The most successful agents, brokers, and humans have versatility. They're not so stuck in, well, you know, I can't work with you because our personalities don't match. And they're not so stuck in, I, you know, because I'm this, I can't do that. They're versatile. They understand that people have different personality styles. They understand that if a client asks you for a spreadsheet of comps, your answer shouldn't be, oh, they're too analytical. I can't deal with them. You freaking find the comps, right? You, you educate yourself. You get the skills. And if another client says to you, I just, I'm feeling really nervous about this. You learn how to deal with feelings and you be there for them and well, you provide so service. So versatility is what you're after. You're touching on the benefit of the DISC stuff. Yes. And the benefit of the DISC stuff is forcing you to be introspective about your perspectives on other humans. And so the D benefit of the DISC stuff is regardless of how you test, you can start understanding more the characteristics and qualities of other humans and understanding that, and here's the litmus test of, of this, is you ask yourself, who are the like the five most recent transactions you mm -hmm. did, your five closest people in your life? Chances are all they're exactly like you because you have yet to realize that you're not defective because you're more of an introvert and less direct. You're, you're just you're there and somebody else is more direct and less introverted. You're not defective. It doesn't make you worse than them. But if you want to sell to them, you then need to learn how to be more direct and more sure. extroverted, Meet right? Meet them where they are. Right. right. And that's what Julie was referring to as being versatile. So there is value in the studying of the different personality styles because it does cause you to essentially break through in some cases your own ego, but that's not how it's essentially no. sold to real estate people. How it's sold to real estate people is you are one of these two personality styles or you are a loser. Right. And that's what I hate that's about That's so it. destructive. It is. It is. I, I mean, I've had uh, calls with new coaching clients who literally like stumbled out of some forced prospecting session and were told that they would never make it because they're obviously not that personality style. And this is a person that had actually done tons of transactions, but was trying to get better and went to this thing and ended up feeling like crap, like she was a loser. I remember that. She went to some prospecting thing in Las Vegas. Yes. She walked out of there crushed, even crushed. though she was successful. Yes. Because in that environment, her particular personality style was shunned like she had, you know, some That's sort right. of disease. Which goes back to the health thing, but we'll, we'll okay. <laughs> yeah. So look, guys, we've gone way over our normal half yeah. hour. So the questions are: When you're trying to write down all the limiting beliefs you have about yourself, and here's the thing you're going to come to the realization of: there, like the average lifespan of most uh, Americans is well into the 80s. And if and uh, Julie, we should touch on this because we said we would. You can vamp on this. No, we'll do it tomorrow. Well, let's just do a tiny bit. Okay. 
Okay. What time do you have to pick up Zoe? Now. Oh, okay. You have to leave now. So we're going to end now. But it, well, let's let's tomorrow let's talk about yeah. essentially how you facts. can actually write more facts. Oh, epigenetics. We'll epigenetics. Let's yes. talk about that tomorrow. Okay, so uh, Julie's got to go pick our daughter up. But in the meantime, guys, what we're trying to do is expand your thinking. What we're trying to do is expand your thinking and be responsible for the output of your thoughts. And in order to do that, you're going to have to confront what essentially are your limiting beliefs. And it's fun. I mean, we're trying to entertain you guys a little bit. But it's also a little bit depressing because then what you're going to soon discover is virtually everything around you is reinforcing negative beliefs. It's reinforcing all kinds of thoughts that are essentially feeding on each other that are greatly diminishing of the capacity you have on this planet as the best version of yourself. And I'm going to leave you this prevailing thought. Do you believe, question, do you believe that tomorrow is going to be better today in every category of your life. And tomorrow, expand upon that. Next month, next year, two years from now. Do you believe that your life can actually get considerably better in all meaningful ways? You're going to get better looking. You're going to get in better health. You're going to improve your finances. You're going to improve your relationships. You're going to improve your you know, your spirituality, your relationship with God. You're going to get smarter. You're going to improve your education. Do you believe that you can continuously improve or do you believe that everybody has good days and good years and bad years and good bad days? Do you believe that life has to be a roller coaster or do you believe you can continually, continuously improve all aspects of your life? I want you to seriously ask yourself that question. And when you come to the true an the answer, I want you to write to these four answer these four questions, right? Is it true what you believe? Number question 2, can you absolutely know it's true? Question 3, how do you react? What happens to your mindset, your actions when you believe that thought? Question 4, who would you be without that thought? Right? And what you're going to discover is most of you have been brainwashed into believing that tomorrow will not be better than today. And yet, human history has absolutely proven to you, if you were just open your mind to it, that tomorrow is always better than today. Until it's not, obviously. But for the most part, it is. Right? Until you, every day you wake up and you're looking at the green side of the grass, it's a great day. That's the simple low bar you should maybe consider adopting. And then all the things that you believe that are making it so that you don't believe that tomorrow is going to be better than today, write all those things down and why don't you start vetting them? Why don't you start actually proving that they're real? And chances are none of them are going to be real. All of them are going to be these things that you've allowed to manifest in your mind that are causing you not to become the best version of yourself. I want you to consider, um, you know, taking the time to take this exercise seriously because it can be a pivotal moment in your life, but not just the life, your life, but, uh, but the lives of everyone you know, love, and care about because you're going to change. They're going to see you change. They're not probably going to ask you why you've changed, but then they're going to start subconsciously, subconsciously modeling their behavior after yours. So please consider doing this, guys. Um, you know, at the end of the day, our highest and truest purpose on this planet is to be of service to other people. Start with being of service to yourself with doing this exercise, and then you'll be shocked by how many other people you can help. You guys have a fantastic day. We'll talk with you on the show tomorrow. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris, Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris. 
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.